back again to Second Peter and the third chapter. And as I was saying, it'll, it'll be probably one more on this great second epistle, and we have only touched the hem of the garment of it, but we do our best with what we have, and God has been ministering to us through it, I'm sure. Second Peter chapter 3, just open your Bible and keep it open, please. These are teaching meetings, these are meetings to instruct us in, in these last days in which we live. Now, the message before us tonight on this chapter on these end times subject uh, is couched in the form of a question. And that question comes from mockers and scoffers and jeers. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 3, Knowing this first. Now remember these are Peter's last words to write. He's on his way out. Knowing this first, that they shall come in the last days scoffers, jeers, mockers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now let me stop a wee minute there. And remind you that our Lord Jesus Christ is no stranger, was no stranger and is no stranger to mockers and to scoffers. At his birth, or regarding his birth, he was accused by the Pharisees of being illegitimate. They told him to his face that he was born of fornication. If you read that portion, that's only thing that you can take out of that. So he was no stranger to mocking at his birth, and he was no stranger to mocking and scoffing in his life, even from his own family. And they mocked him and they jeered him. And he was no stranger to mocking at the cross. We are singing that hymn as we sat down tonight. And they mocked him all through his life, and they mocked him all through his death. And there were no, he wasn't a stranger to mocking during, uh, at his resurrection or after his resurrection, even now. Men are de denying the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here it's at his coming. It's at his coming. The attack of the mockers and the scoffers is that is coming because you need to notice the wee words and saying where is the promise of his coming? It's him they're after here. And I'll tell you who's after him. This is a satanical question. Because you always need to look below the surface when you're reading the scriptures. And below the surface here, I can see and I can hear the devil at his work. He used the very same tactic at the beginning. Do you remember at the beginning uh, with Eve? He throws doubt on the word of God. And that's what he's doing here. He's throwing doubt on the word of God. Where is the promise that your God gave you that he's going to come? And that's what he said to Eve in the same tenet. He said to Eve, has God said in other words, uh, he's not keeping his word. In other words, has he said this and then doubt is thrown on the word of God and the things of God? And you know about that in your life. But the old enemy can throw doubt in your mind too. And you've been praying some of you for years for your family and you often think to yourself, Where, are they going to get saved at all? And now the devil tell you, well, they'll go to hell or they'll have a car accident and they'll, they'll miss it. But uh, the old enemy is good at throwing doubt. So we, this is a satanical question. This, this is coming from hell now. This is the weapon. You see, the devil has nothing new. He doesn't need anything new because the old things work well for him. Nothing new. 
But this is not only a satanical question, it's an unsensical question. Because the question they ask, since your fathers fell asleep, there's no change. Well, of course, that's the height of nonsense. There's no change. And, and Peter here hits it with verse 4 uh, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Verse 4. And verse 5. For this they're willing ignorant that the word of God, that the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. He's just coming in. Well, you say there's nothing new from our fathers. Well, the flood happened since that. And then we can go on and on through the word of God uh, put into not this nonsensical question and, and it's a satanical question but the answers are theological and the answers are evangelical now hold what I've said now before we go on the theological because it's God's timing now you remember that Verse 8, but be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. This is a theological answer, because God's ways are not our ways, and God's, God's ways are higher than our ways, and God's time is longer than our time. So to get an answer, we have to go to theology, to God. That's where the answer is with God, and we have to leave the answer there. But it's also evangelical. The answer is evangelical, which will be closing up with the night. That the, the, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, verse 9, as some, but is long, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's an evangelical answer in it, too. So let us read on down a couple of verses here, down to verse, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting on to the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall be on fire, being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And we'll end the reading there. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Isn't it remarkable and incredible that two shepherds, Moses and David, both who were indicted with murder, and two fishermen, Peter and John, who were ignorant and unlearned men, knew more about the creation and the formation and the duration and the cremation of this world than all the great scientists, astrologers, naturalists, geologists, all put into one. They knew more than Webb knew or Hoyle knew or Einstein or Darwin or Dawkins or Hawkins and all the rest of them and many more. Just ordinary shepherds and fishermen, unlearned and ignorant with a past behind them, knew more, more than them all, every last one of them. You see, there are hundreds of scientists today, uh, the intelligentsia, thinkers, that tell us that one day, 10 billion years and more ago, a big bang happened and the whole cosmos exploded, blowing particles into space in orbits that are still circling around called planets. And it was created from the dust and the gas, but they don't tell us where the dust and the gas came from. And they don't tell us where the atmosphere and the atoms come from. They don't tell us that. And still after all those, these so many, so be billions of years, trillions of years maybe, that they're forming new planets and they're still exploding. Now, I don't know if you want to believe that or not. 
And from that explosion that is still going on, and they've sent a camera up there on 7.30 a.m. on Christmas morning, they launched the James Webb. 25 years it took them putting it together and working it out. Cost £10 billion, and I heard in the news this morning that Americans is, America is in the greatest crisis financially than it has been for 50 years. And so they're trying to work this out and tell us that the pigs came from it and the donkeys came from it and flowers came from it and I come from it and all the rest. What did Moses say? What did David say? What did Moses say? Moses, this, the scripture says, was on the backside of the desert. Do you know why it says the backside of the desert? They couldn't get a name for the place. It was that backward. He just said the backside of the desert. Somebody says to me, when you're from the backside of a man, oh, that's all right, I am. I don't mind that at all. But that's where Moses from. He was from the backside of the desert. What did he say about creation, about the creation and formation? What did John, what did John say about it? What does Peter say about it? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible in Genesis 1. He says, in the beginning, God created. That was good enough for him. It's good enough for me. (laughs) I can't go after that. The earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of of God moved and said, let there be. That's just enough for me now. And it seemed to me it was enough for Moses. And I could bring it scripture after scripture of Moses. Just stopped at that. And then David in Psalm 8 says, When I consider thy fingers, thy heavens, the work of thy hands and thy fingers, what is man? Boy, that young David at 17 looked up one starry night out on the hills of Bethlehem. And in a couple of minutes, he saw more than Patrick Muir in 92 years. John, what did John say? John said about the, the duration of it. He said, the, 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 the heavens and the earth shall pass away. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And they shall perish. And there'll be no more sea. Look at what Peter says in Second Peter 3 and verse 7. Look at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, that's the same word that called the flood, as we're talking about in the context, by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That's what the word of God says. There's one word, my dear friends, tonight that defines and settles this whole question. It separates us who are the creationists from the evolutionists, and the word is faith. Simple, pure, undulterated faith. Faith in God. In these dying words of Peter... In verse 1, he says, look at verse 1, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you to store up your pure mind in remembrance. My dear loving friends, and he says that four, one, two, three, four, five times in this third chapter. He's, He's getting this message over with a love in his heart to the people. I want you to understand this. I want you to get this into your mind. I want to stir up your pure minds to the word of the living God. And he says that in verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken by the prophets and the commandments of of us, the apostles, and the Lord and Savior. He says, I want you to focus your mind on the Word of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they'll give you all the answers that you want. It's nothing new. We don't need anything new. We don't need telescopes. 
We don't need professors and scientists to tell us anything. We have it all here. He says, get into the Word of God. Get your pure mind stirred up with the Old Testament prophets, especially those. This is the context he's speaking. Especially those. Those those who speak about the Lord's return and the coming of the Lord. Daniel and Zechariah and all the men at the back. Get into your mind what Paul said, what Peter said, what John said. Get into your minds. Get into your minds about oh, what Jesus said about the second coming. Many in the, the Lord Jesus Christ in one of those mighty statements. We went through them all, every one of them. In the last days, you'll see these things become to pass. And there's one thing he said, you'll see this, the, way, the seas and the waves roaring. I tell you, saw that the other day if you watch the news. An earthquake in the heart of the specific, these specific, these specific or something. An earthquake in the heart of it. I doubt if it was an earthquake. I don't think it came up. I think something came down. Could hear 300 miles away. Jesus says in these last and end days, the seas and the waves roaring. Well, you'd circle that in your word and look around. We don't need to have to go out of sight of this book. Don't need to go at all. You see, the great problem, the great problem is this. In this last century, and in these last two years in particular, the COVID crisis, the nation answering the COVID crisis are listening to scientists. That's the greatest damnable thing that is happening in these last days of time. Men and women are turning away from the word of God and they're turning to stars and to scientists. Now they have their place. And I don't know what place it is. They have their place. And we we listen to them professors and epidemiologists, many of them atheists and many of them agnostics, many of them are humanists and liberalists. They know nothing about the Word of God and they don't want to know anything about the Word. And the very fact that they don't, they're scoffing the Word. They're mocking the Word. Tell us we had to have a vaccination. On one end, after a while, they said, you need another and then you said you need the booster. And now I'm here and now there's a double booster. You need a double booster. I'm making this point to tell you that I am hearing, and I had four or five people in the last week, four of them unsaved people who have been in touch with me in the last couple of weeks, who have been in touch with me, seeing through all this thing. And I'm not talking about ordinary people in the last couple of months either. I'm talking about specialists in hospitals. I'm talking about solicitors. Opticians. People are beginning and realizing to see that we have to get back to God. We have to get back to the old book and we have to get the old book opened up. And that's what Peter is saying here. God is saying, first of all, the first thing is to get back to the book. Whenever Josiah took up his reign at 16 years of age, the first thing he ordered was to do, bring back the book. We have all books but the Bible. We have more hymn books, we have more course books, we have more songs. We need to get back to the book. And let me say that's, that's one of the reasons. Very shortly in this place, there's going to be a Wednesday night Bible study as well as a prayer meeting. And we're going to go into the book and we're going to tell the people what they need to hear in these days. Not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear in these days. That's the plea from Diane Peter here, back to the Old Testament, back to the book. 
Back to faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Underline that now in Hebrews. It's impossible. And if you're not saved tonight, it's impossible to be saved without faith. And you can be saved sitting in your seat tonight. By grace are you saved through faith. That's how any of us were saved. Faith in the living God and the work of Christ on Calvary's cross. You see, many of the scientists, as I say, don't believe this. But through faith we believe and understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. And the things which are seen are not made by things which do not appear. Just believing in the word, taking the word and reading the word, you know, that some young man will take the word of God someday and he'll read it and he'll believe it and he'll turn the place upside down. We don't believe it. We don't believe it at all. Don't believe that he exists, these boys. And if they do, they believe he can't help us. We need help from outside. Stir up your pure minds. Get into the word of God. Because he has hidden these things from the wise and prudent. I love that verse. He has hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but he has has revealed it unto babes. Listen to what James says. He has, has God, God not chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith, to be heirs of the kingdom. I'm glad that I'm stupid. And I am. Go way back to Daniel and Job and David and Zechariah and Malachi and Paul and Peter and John and James. Faith in the book and the days ahead. But not only we need faith in the book for the days ahead, we need, need faith for the battle in the days ahead. Now, Stephen doesn't know what I'm preaching on the night, and I didn't know what he was preaching on this morning. And that indicates to me that God is wanting to speak to people. Because he said a lot of things that I, some I'm not saying now because he said them, but he, it's just that God wants to, there's a battle on, I tell you. This, 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 the, the, these are days of battle, these days of the second coming of the Lord. Remember in Exodus 17 when the Amalekites attacked the children of Israel. Moses said to Joshua, choose out men to fight against the Amalekites. And me, Moses, and Aaron and her will go up to the top of the hill and we'll pray. And they took a stone and they put it under Moses and Aaron and her held up his hands And as they held up his hands in prayer, the battle progressed. And as they let the hands down when they were weary, the enemy got the victory. But it says this, and this jumped out at me the other day. His hands, Moses' hands, were steady till the going down of the sun. That word steady is the word fixed, anchored, steadfast. And it's an Old Testament word for faith. Now, I'm teaching you tonight. They held on to the going down of the sun by faith. You see, Moses wasn't depending just on the chosen men, and he needed the men, and the choose out men, and they'd have been great men. And they'd have been a mighty help to Joshua. But he seen as well as the men, he needed the prayer, they needed the balance. Oh, listen, how we need to battle on faithfully and steadfastly in intercessory prayer what we're doing here in this place. They prayed and he prayed until the sun went down. The old hymn we used to sing sometimes, the sun is sinking in the west. Well, let me tell you, the night is far spent and the day is at hand and we need steady men and we need steady women and we need steady men and women to hold on and to hold tight and to not give up and not to flee and not to run. Because the coming of the Lord draws near and we're going down into the dark. The sun is setting in the west. We need men who will be stalwart and who will stand and who will not flee 
from one place to another. There's a big testimony in some other church tonight. We'll all go to it. There's something else tomorrow night and somewhere else there's a hooli on. So we'll go there. We need men and women who'll stand and get in behind this work and get in behind us for God is in this house and God is working and revival's going to come. We need steady men and women. Will you be a steady man and woman here? Not just run on a Sunday night because there's a wee bit of prophecy. Tickle your ears about the Antichrist. Did you spend any, how many of you spend an hour in prayer each day alone? Come on. Oh, but the Lord's coming and souls are perishing. We need steady men. We need men to hold up a hands in prayer. We need men to come in behind those that are in, in the battle. The Lord Jesus Christ said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? I wonder if he's come tonight, how much faith would be found in you and me and in this church. We need faith in the book. In the last days, we need faith in the battle. And we need faith at the brook. Because we're in Elijah experience. When Ahab and Jezebel who were the king and queen of Israel, those were the worst king and queen that Israel had ever had. You read down chapter 16 there, First Kings, and you'll discover the wickedness and the evil and the idolatry and the immorality and the child killing and all that went on is the very same that's gone on tonight in our nation. Now hear me out. And we need faith. We need faith to stand against it in these days. Every conceivable commandment is broken in not only the House of Windsor, but in the House of Commons and in number 10. And it's only the mercy of God. But I tell you, the pressure's on. Pressure's on. God's not going to let them away with slaying and killing innocent children the way they're doing or passing legislation for the sodomy, he's not going to let them away, and he's not letting them away with it. And we need faith. We need faith to hold on as things dry up. Tell me, is your brook drying up tonight? Is your marriage drying up? Well, you need to do something about it. Is your tithing drying up? Is your praying drying up? Is your family altar drying up? What's drying up? Because mine, are your finances drying up? Well, I'll tell you this. We'll need faith before it's all done. The battle's on for the book. The battle's on at the brook. Oh, I tell you, Elijah had faith at the brook and he had faith in the birds. The butcher and the baker Two of the most filthiest birds that fly, the ravens. Fed them. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Not only had he faith in the brook and he had faith in the birds, he had faith in the barn. And he went to the widow's house there was only a handful of meal, but it kept him for about 14 months or more. Fed him and her and the son. And he needed faith for the boy. He 
or the boy died. You need faith for your boy too. Battle's on for the boys and the girls. And you need faith for them. And the measure of your faith will be known by the measures of your prayers. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Must believe that he is. These scientists don't believe that he is. And many Christians don't believe that he is. The God that he says he is. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of miracles, the almighty God who opened the Red Sea, brought them over the Jordan, give them the manna, give them the quails, give them the water from the rock. Believe that he is what he says he is. And then he'll reward you if you diligently seek him, if you take the word of God and faith and prayer to him. Now here's another one, and here's the point that Stephen hit this morning. And I had my message prepared before this morning. Jesus says we'll, uh, the word says we'll, God says we'll need faith at the book, we'll need faith in the battle, we'll need faith at the book. We'll need faith in the backlash. There's a backlash coming. In my 33 years experience here, I have learned that a backlash can come. And it's not always from outside it'll come. Very seldom it's from the world. And if you're sitting in this meeting tonight and you're just mocking the rapture or anything like that, you're on dangerous ground. Shut your mouth if you don't believe it and believe what you like. I would not dare go, go about and shout and talk about and, and criticize people for what they believed in the second coming of the Lord. That's their business. I have to preach the truth. It'll come. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, I want you to get this this night. Matthew chapter 8, the Lord Jesus and the disciples are crossing the Galilee and the great storm arose. They're heading to the other side. Lovely wee story, we all know. But we need to ask where and what are they coming from and where and what are they going to? That's where you need to hold on. You see, a great storm arose. Now, don't you tell me that the devil can't throw a storm up. Because then you'd have to just cut up the whole book of Job. But he only can go as far as the Lord allows him to go. Here's the disciples, the twelve of them, and the Lord Jesus, and they're crossing the Galilee, and a storm arises. The whole eggs are in the one basket. This is the time to hit. This is the time to destroy them. This is the time to wipe the whole business out. And so a mighty storm arose. I say that's a backlash. It was a backlash from where they were coming from. They were coming, the Lord was coming from one of the greatest days of his ministry. And if you take those times, those are mentioned in the different Gospels, you will find that he came from healing the lepers and the palsies, Peter's wife's mother. He was preaching on a full surrendered life and in hell's fire. And discipleship was all there just the day before they boarded the boat. The devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like it. And he doesn't like what's been preached here. But that's where they're coming from. But where are they going? They're going to Gadara. 
They're going to the mountain of Gadara. He's going to release a soul that's demonically possessed, cutting himself day and night with stones. Men couldn't tame him, they couldn't tame him, they couldn't chain him, and they couldn't change him. The Lord's gone over with a handful of clothes to him. Where did he get his clothes? He was clothed and in his right mind. Well, the pigs didn't give it to him. I believe the Lord's taken his clothes over to this man. Oh, my Savior. And the devil doesn't like the drug addict and the drunkard and the homosexual and the maniac and the evil and wicked men set free. Now here's the point. He's going to Gadara. He's going in amongst his own people. The tribe of Gad. Some of the tribe of Gad. Remember when Jacob blessed the twelve children of Israel? He said, God will be overcome. But then he said, he'll be an overcomer. And so he was, but he was overcome. How was he overcome? Well, he's in the pig trade now. The Jews had nothing to do with swine. They were unholy and ungodly. Somehow or another, these people of God have got into business and big business. And there's so many of God's people tonight, and they used to run well, and they sat at Jacob's knee, as it were. Boy, tonight a bit of lolly and a bit of money has got a hold of them and they're away back. It's that bad that they asked them to leave. They prayed that he would leave. We don't want you. Oh, God help us. I hope you're not getting taken up with possessions of this world and money and cars and houses and you haven't time to go to a meeting and a prayer meeting or even a Sunday night meeting. I hope you're not now. I'll tell you, the Lord put an end to the pigs. And he set that prisoner free. Is it any wonder there was a backlash? We're going to have a backlash here before long. Thank God we know that we are. Uh, there's a backlashing, a whiplashing, and a tongue lashing. Roy were lashed, and the Roy was reading out something to me this morning there, and some boy on YouTube or Facebook or some of them other gadgets. I don't know what it was. Boy, he tore into us. Tongue lashing. Well, he can tear away. But I say to you, if you're listening tonight, sir. Or woman, whoever you are, I say to you tonight, come on out into the open and don't hide behind that thing. Come on out into the open and face me and face these men here. Come on. I'll meet you any day you want. No, you don't run this place. This is God's house and God's work. There's going to be a backlash. I hope you not be part of the tongue lashing. I hope you'll not be part of the backlash. Because if you have any motive in this house morning or evening other than to see God working and to see revival and to see the blessings of God, then you'd be better going somewhere else. Because where do we tell you? We have been through all this before. And we love you and we thank God for every last one of you. But there's a big goal here. And it will be attacked by the devil and your family will be part of the attack. They'll, they'll attack you. Don't make any mistake about that. The devil's not going to let this go free. So we need to stand together in the word. 
by faith and intercessory prayer. Now as I close up, verses 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 says, this promise with the promise of his coming. And I'm tying this up like this, so whether they mock or whether they scoff, it doesn't matter. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He has promised that he will come and he will come as sure as a round as a hoop he will come. Jesus says, I will come again. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's the promise. He's coming again. No matter what they say. Let them scoff and mock all the like. There's the promise of his coming. There's the period of his coming. See this here? There's a period of his coming. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And the Lord, in verse 9, before us is not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness. But as long suffering to us, word not willing that any would perish. There's a period of his coming. And the period in his coming is in his time, not in our times. One day is as a thousand years, Peter says here. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So that's only two days since Calvary, and a wee bit more. But that's God's clock. Your clock's tomorrow morning. Your clock's the night. He doesn't go be clocks. In God's time, there's a period. There's a period. No man knows the day, nor the hour, or the minute. And boys, if we did, we'd lie and lace about and fool about to the half an hour a day before it, and then we'd straighten ourselves up. You need to straighten yourself up now. We could burst the clouds at any minute. That's how quick it's going to happen. It's not the wink of an eye, it's the twinkling of an eye. You could wink an eye right quick. There's a period when he's going to come. But look at verse 9, and I'm coming down to close. Verse 9 says, There's the patience of his coming. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slack. But his long-suffering to us and not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Oh, how patient he is. Oh, how long-suffering he has been with you, sir, and you, dear, tonight, over the years, and all the gospel, and all the tracts, and all the prayers. You're not saved yet. You see that last state, that statement there? Verse 9. The will of God. It's not his will that any should perish. Stephen Alford said one time, find the will of God, follow the will of God, and finish the will of God. And it's the will of God, first of all, that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his will for you tonight now. You can stamp on his will if you like and say not tonight, not, not now, but tomorrow or some other. You do that as you like, but do it at your own peril now. It's the will of God that all men would be saved. That will of men, will of God that they would not perish. Perish an awful word. She's in this word here, burning up the burning up the whole atmosphere, the whole cosmos, the whole universe, burning it up, dissolving it, perishing. Why should you perish tonight, sinner? Why should we perish tonight wherever you are? Why should you perish tonight and go to hell when there's such a savior as the one we hold forth on this last day of grace? 
You see, there's the will of God and there's the patience of God and there's the call of God. It's not his with any would perish, but would come, should come to repentance. It's an invitation. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to you now, come, come. Come tonight. Because tomorrow may be too late. Come for all things are now ready. Today if you will hear his voice. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The trumpet shall sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise. Boy we shall be out of it. Thank God. Boys I praise the Lord that day. I don't want to live on here. Unless God does something. Honestly, don't. Now I've instructed my family when I'm dying. I want no therapies. I want no nothing. You may have a different view. I want to go home. Pray for me if you like. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was dying, his daughter got down beside the bed and prayed for him. She said, there's an old feeble hand and his whispering voice. He said, don't keep me back from the glory. I don't know, people want to get staying here. They want people to pray and fast and get me another day. I don't want another day. When God's time is up, it'll be up. I'm not saying that he doesn't heal. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to face him? Have you all tithed up? Have you all prayed up? Have you all cleaned up? I'm going to finish with an illustration and I was tying with it because it'll maybe hit a root with some with a person in this meeting but they'll know what I'm saying. But 1983 or 4 I'm not sure when it was I was sitting in the wee house in Langs Crescent. I was in Bible College. And I got up one morning about six o'clock and I was sitting in a chair meditating upon the Word of God and I heard the and I knew it was a Thompson submachine gun. I knew the you know, I knew the rattle of it. Where do you hear what you're going to hear now? And after things settled, I rang the police station. And they said when the men, policemen, went to open the barrier into the town at Hillocks, there was two gunmen up on the roof. And underneath them, the boys came to open the thing and opened fire at almost point-blank range with a Sterling, with a Thompson and another weapon. One boy, he got in under the cover and he ran. The other fella, he ran up the street and he zigzagged and the bullets zigzagged after him, put sparks out of the wall as he was running up. He was transferred from Uri to Armagh some months before because they tried to kill him. And he said after he was transferred from Uri, they'll not get me, he says, I'm enjoying life. Someone, someone tried to witness to him and tell him God was speaking to him. No, no. And then after that incident in Armagh, the Christians, there was 14 Christian policemen in Armagh at that time. And Jimmy Armstrong prayed for every one of them. Most of them went to the Baptist church. Not one of them was lost. Someone witnessed to him and he says, oh, no, I'm, I don't believe that I'm living life or whatever it was. 
And then one day he was doing a prison run to Belfast in the prison van and he had to escort a prisoner and there's a woman police, woman, woman prison officer rather, cursed. And diving up the road he started to tell them about the incident and she said, do you not think it's time that you could saved? No, no, three times. A few weeks, a few months went on One Friday night he was driving a police car with three others in it coming down the Cady Road. And the car went out of control. And all four of them went out into eternity. That can be verified tonight because one of them was a policewoman and her brothers in the meeting tonight. Lovely girl, Christian girl. She was to sing for me on the Sunday night. At a gospel meeting. Out into eternity. Not by tariffs. An old heavy armored police car that wasn't able to take the car. Oh, I have time enough yet. You leave this meeting tonight at your power. It's years since I used that illustration, but it came to me tonight just before I came down here. Don't you go home without Christ tonight. Do you hear that now? If you're not saved tonight or if you're backslidden tonight, I'm going to the door and there's a wee room into the left. Don't talk about and chat about outside. You want to sit in here. Don't chat out there. Talk out there. Just go on out if you're going out. You can sit here as long as you want. But if there's anybody who wants to speak to me, go into the left. And I'll talk to you there. Backslider, come back. Come back. It's near the end. That could be the last call. Let us pray.